Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We're in Genesis chapter 29. And we're continuing this story of Jacob. And we've heard this story has already been a very interesting story, let me tell you. From the moment Jacob arrives, grabbing his brother Esau's heel, to his taking the inheritance from his brother Esau by exchanging it for a bowl of porridge, to Jacob deceiving his parents. And then last week, we saw Jacob arrive after he had sort of been kicked out of his home because of deceiving his father and because of fear of his brother Esau who got cheated in that deception. Jacob arrives and as Pastor Dan said last week, we see a momentary snapshot of joy and connection because Jacob meets his extended family. And in that moment, he feels reconnected. Now, Pastor Dan said for a reason that that was a snapshot, because that's all it is, a moment. And today, this weird story of Jacob gets even weirder. And I mean weird in ways that you would not almost be ready and willing to believe, but there's a certain amount of comfort in the weirdness of Jacob's family. You know why? Because my family's weird. Maybe yours family's a little weird. Jacob is weird, and hey, I'm weird too. And yet, God loves Jacob and even uses him to bring about, eventually, the birth of his son, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah of the world. Jacob uses this weird guy and his weird family to spread, God uses Jacob to spread his love throughout the entire world. And that's what's amazing, to realize that for us weird folks and our weird families, there is hope that God is using us in his big plan to do great things for his kingdom. And I want you to hear that. Now, to understand how, how weird, <laughs> but not just weird, but also how sinful Jacob and his family are, we're going to dive into what's no longer a snapshot, but a saga. And it's kind of an ugly saga, to be honest with you. Not just weird, but ugly, because of sin. You know, Jesus tells us that he only gives us two commandments, really. Do you remember what they are? Does anybody know what those two commandments are? It says, we can boil everything down to two things if we want. First of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you help me finish this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. What we're going to notice today is the cancerous nature of of sin in our hearts, in our minds, in our world around us, in our culture, 
the cancerous nature of sin to destroy our love for God and our love for one another. And it happens sometimes in ways that you don't even expect, just like cancer. That's why I use that metaphor. I've had multiple friends who were carriers of cancer for quite some time, not even knowing they, they were ill. And, and they went around, some of them for weeks, some of them for months, some of them literally for years without realizing they had cancer because it was lying dormant underneath the surface and only in time was it going to come out and begin to show itself. Well, let me tell you, you may be wondering, how does the cancer of sin work in ways that sometimes I don't see it? I don't see it because maybe I'm justifying it to myself and my sinful nature. Maybe I'm minimizing it. Maybe our culture is telling us it's okay. And yet God says it's still cancer and it's still deadly. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a, a favorite friend of mine, someone that I think many of you might know, um, this gentleman. Anybody recognize him? He makes me laugh just to see his face. Dwight from The Office. And one of my favorite lines from Dwight is, can a guy buy bagels for his friends anymore? Can a guy buy bagels for his friends anymore so that they will owe him a favor? So that he can later on exchange that favor to get someone he doesn't like fired. That's Dwight. I want to do something nice for you so that you owe me so that I can exchange that debt for something later on that I want. Do you see what that's saying? Dwight and we, this is the beginning of the cancer, by the way, sometimes view in our sin our relationships as transactions, as doing business. That's what Dwight's saying. When I buy bagels, that's a transaction. Then a debt is owed me, and then I can trade in that debt, and I can use it for something I want. My relationships are business. They're transactional. I want you to write this down. Sin has wrecked our connection with one another. And here's the cancer that I'm talking about. Transactional relationships are the norm. And here's what I mean by this. Most of us, because of sin... When we get into a relationship, it's not much different from a business relationship. Even, I hate to say this, in our marriages, with our children, with our best friends. And if you don't believe me, just listen to what the golden standard of marriage is often called. A great marriage is a 50-50 relationship. A great marriage has a lot of give and, help me, take. Do you see the mentality there? And it, it sounds pretty innocent. In fact, not just innocent, but to many of you who may be involved 
in relationships where you're doing 80 and the other person is doing 20, you go, man, I would take 50-50 like that. But let me tell you, ask yourself this. What if Jesus had said to you, what I want is a 50-50 relationship with you. I'll do my part, I'll do my 50%, then you do your 50%. How do you think that would have turned out? Well, we know how that turns out, don't we? It turns out horrible because we can't do our 50%. Let me ask you another question. What happens to the marriage that is sailing along beautifully and somebody gets seriously ill or seriously injured and that person was holding up their end of the bargain, there's the language, and all of a sudden, due to their illness or injury, a lot of the weight gets shifted to you. What then? Is there no more marriage because they can't produce their 50? This is what I'm saying, is that when we view relationships as transactions, we are saying, I am going to be in a relationship with this person because I want to get something from them, not give something to them. Now, I want to, I want to pause there. Do you have relationships like that? Be honest with yourself. You don't have to raise your hand or confess in the crowd. But has that spiritual cancer sometimes infected you? Have you ever, as a parent, just thrown up your hands and gone, I have poured myself and poured myself and poured myself into this child, and they are, how do we say it? Giving me nothing back. Ever said that? Ever felt hurt? because you weren't getting something from a relationship that you wanted. And often when we engage in transactional relationships, that's exactly where it ends. I'm gonna show you the real sin danger and the real sin cancer of transactional view of relationships by taking you through this story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Laban. So, sin has wrecked our connection with one another. Transactional relationships are the norm. What a beautiful illustration of that. Let's read. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Notice I bolded something there. I highlighted something there. This sounds generous, doesn't it? Laban sees Jacob working, and then he says, don't I owe you something? You shouldn't be working for nothing. Let's turn this into a transactional relationship, and we'll see how that turns out. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. 
Jacob's going along with the transactional relationship. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. He doesn't really mean give her. He means sell her, by the way. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to, I'm going to retranslate this, get something from her. I've been waiting seven years to get this something from her. He doesn't put it that way. He puts it more nicely. And I want to make love to her. Now we skip a few verses and then it says, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? So do you want to know, do you want to be able to recognize whether or not you have maybe been taught or trained or just come to a view of most of your relationships, even your deepest, most loving relationships in your mind, most important relationships, you've turned them into transactions. Let's quickly go through this and, and grab some points from those verses that I bolded and highlighted. Transactional relationships are based on an exchange. You're exchanging something. I'm giving you something so I can get something back from you. Transactional relationships are far more about getting than they are giving. Number one, what do we see? Laban comes along and he says, Jacob, set your price. And that's always true with transactional relationships. There's always a price that is set. Sometimes it's spoken. Sometimes it's unspoken until one of the two people in the relationship begin to feel cheated, and then they're going to speak the price tag. Interestingly, when I was a little boy, <laughs> you know what my dad used to say to me? He'd say, this was to indicate how much he loved me. I wouldn't trade you, Jeff, for a million bucks. And I thought, oh, <laughs> what about a million and one, Dad? One million, one hundred thousand? Do you see when you start to put value, you start to put doubt? And, and no matter how high that value is, seven years is a pretty high value of your whole life. And yet it still puts a price tag on the relationship and turns it from a, a relationship of true, deep, transformative love into a transaction. So, number one, You'll know that you're engaging in transactional relationships if your relationship has a price tag attached to it. Secondly, go down to that second bold. Leah had weak eyes, might have meant delicate eyes. We believe that in ancient culture, the eyes were the center of attraction. You even think today in the world of veils and so on. What can you see? about a woman more than her eyes, right? When everything else is covered, so eyes are important. Leah actually may have been completely beautiful, but somehow she was judged in her eyes to be weak, whatever that means. We don't really know. But we do know this. Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. 
You want to know if you're in a transactional relationship? Here's the second point. Transactional relationships are based on outward attraction rather than a desire for inward transformation. Let's go back to Jesus. Is Jesus loving you because he wants to get something from you? In no way. In fact, this is one of the most shocking things about Christianity. Paul, when he writes about this, says, the world is shocked about this, that God is going to love you with no expectation of return? That's, well, we just sang it. In the eyes of the world, that's reckless love. That's silly and stupid, and Paul calls it foolish to love that way. He calls it a stumbling block to many people that that God would love without condition or without desire for return. Astounding. And yet that is the way God loves us because he wants to transform us. His love is meant to take us from where we're at, lost in sin, dead and condemned, and transform all of that into a person who is truly and deeply alive, headed for heaven, knows their identity as a dearly loved child of God and is confident, always in that identity, sees their destiny as certain. I'm going to heaven because Jesus bled and died for me on the cross. And then as the first fruits of those who will come alive, he rose again to show me that one day I will rise again in him through faith in him, and join him in heaven. Jesus' love is to take us from here, our lostness, our condemnation of sin, what evil does to twist us up and transform us into something that is beautiful and alive for eternity. What's the opposite of transactional love? It is transformative love. Now, you've experienced that, some of you. You have loved people just simply because you love them. And you, your wish is not to get something back from them. Your wish is to see them grow. Your wish is to see them thrive and flourish. Maybe some of you were loved that way as children. Some of you probably weren't. Some of you were probably treated as transactions by your own parents. And so it's quite natural for for us to see relationships as transactions rather than as transformative. But transformative love is the kind of love that Jesus loves you with. The kind that says, I love you where you're at, but I love you too much to leave you where you're at. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so here's another sign that you're engaged in a a transactional relationship. Take a look. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you. Notice those words, you can circle them. Seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. You see, what that does is it not only puts a value, but it also puts an expiration date on this whole relationship. When you buy a carton of milk, you look at the little stamp, you know when you better throw that carton of milk out or you're going to be drinking nasty, spoiled milk. In our world today, 
there are a lot of relationships that come with expiration dates. And sometimes it's not neatly stamped on the relationship, but I'll tell you what does stamp the, the expiration date on a relationship. It's when I view a relationship as transactional and then I begin to think, I'm not getting what I want from this relationship. And then mentally we began to stamp the expiration date. If I don't start getting what I want from this relationship, I'm done. It's over. If you have an expiration date on a relationship that you're in, you're involved in a transactional relationship because you're thinking, I'm not getting. And therefore, this has to end. All right? And the final sign you're involved in a transactional relationship is that you feel cheated. You see, transactional relationships set us up for a fall. Take a look at what happens when Jacob finds out, and this is the story, I'll fill you in a little bit here, is Jacob works seven years for Rachel, and then on his wedding night, Laban switches out the two daughters. Remember I said, really, maybe the only major difference between these two girls was in their eyes? Jacob doesn't notice that on his wedding night, in the dark, he's not sleeping with Rachel, whom he thought he was marrying. He's sleeping with Rachel's older sister, Leah. Did I tell you this story is weird? This is a weird story. And if you think you've got a weird, twisted family, just find some comfort in this story. The guy who earlier on, Laban, was saying, dude, I love you too much to let you work for me for free. Come on, man, name your wages. Jacob says, okay, how about your daughter? Finds that that same, that same man, his family member, cheats him. And, and that's what happens when you get involved in transactional relationships. At the end of the day, you're going to end up feeling cheated. Something is going to come along and you're going to feel like, I got the short end of the stick here. So that's a sign that you were involved in a transactional relationship. Do you see why I call this cancer? I call it cancer because for many of us, this is the natural way we go about our relationships and we don't maybe normally think there's anything wrong with it. And, and I'll, I'll say this, if what you're doing is business with an individual, you own a company and someone else owns a company and you're doing transactions in business, have at it, that's not a sin. But if we're talking about your spouse or your child, or your friends, or your neighbors, those are not meant to be transactional relationships. And let me just say this, even in a certain aspect, your business partners. Because on the one hand, you are going to carry out transactions with your business partners, but you can still treat them transformationally, because who knows, maybe God put you in that business relationship so that you could communicate Christ to them and show them, demonstrate to them the transformative love of Christ by loving them transformatively, 
not transactionally. All right? So here's the point. Love God, love your neighbor. You want to know? The, the reason I bring this up is when we think about love your neighbor, sometimes we think about the big things. Well, I haven't, I haven't murdered anybody. I, I didn't shoot or stab anybody to death. I, I haven't committed adultery and taken someone else's wife or, or even tried to steal their worker. I haven't gossiped recently, doing better on that. And we begin to feel good about ourselves. Begin to think, oh, we've got this love our neighbor thing down. What I'm asking you to do is go deeper. And to understand that there is a cancer created by sin that, that twists and bends and reshapes our relationships in a way that sometimes we can't even see because transactional relationships are so embedded in our culture and frankly in us. Sin has twisted us so that we are selfish and we want our payoff. So I'm, I'm asking you to dive a little bit deep today and understand that Transactional relationships are one of the signs that sin is twisting and bending our world. But that's not all. We talked about this in the prayer earlier. Turn the page over. Sin has also wrecked our connection, not only with one another, but with God. And the way that works is in this twisted up, bent world, we're constantly searching for significance, a sense that we're important to someone. A, a sense that we can find happiness or joy or peace or purpose in our lives. And because these are such deep-seated desires in all of us, in all of us, we sometimes forget that God wants to gift all those things to us and, and not seeing those gifts, not appreciating those gifts maybe, not really grabbing hold and putting our faith in those gifts, we begin to look other places for them. That's called idolatry. Idolatry is not just things built of wood and stone, as I said in the prayer. Idolatry is any time we make something the ultimate source of our happiness, our peace, our purpose, our significance, and that thing, whatever it is, is not God. God is the only ultimate thing, the only ultimate one who can truly give us importance, significance, purpose, peace, love, happiness, joy. But we get twisted up because of sin, and we see that in our story. Now, hopefully you brought your Bibles along because there was no way I was going to get this whole next section into your notes. So I'm going to, it's important for you to hear this. I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to start at uh, chapter 29, verse 30. Because you got to hear what happens next. And I'm going to read a little ways. So bear with me. I don't normally read huge chunks of scripture. It's not going to be on the screen. So if you brought your Bible, open it up now, Genesis 29. If you don't have your Bible app, Load it up on your phone. Now would be a good time to do that. All you got to do is go to the Bible app in your app store and you'll find it. If none of those things appeal to you, then just listen carefully. 
Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Just right out there for us. And he worked for Laban another seven years. So the arrangement after all this went down was, I'll give you Rachel a week from now after you've completed your wedding week with Leah. I'll give you Rachel, but you're going to work for me for another seven years. Talk about weirdness. Jacob agrees to this. Now you or me, we'd have headed straight to the court. But Jacob agrees to it. Maybe he doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't know why he agrees to it, but he does. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. See, Leah may not be appealing on the outside to Jacob or others, but to God, Leah is his dearly loved child, his princess. And he is going to make sure He is going to make sure that Leah knows that she is loved. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Pay attention to that. We'll come back to it. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived. This is third time now. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Are you noticing a theme here? God, her father, is loving her and blessing her. And what's happening with Leah? It's all about Jacob's love to her. You see the idolatry there? Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now this verse, if you have it in your Bible, if you've got your Bible open or if you've got your Bible app app open, highlight it, underline it. You know why? Because here we're getting a peek into God's amazing big plan for the world. Do you know who comes descended from Judah many hundreds of years later? A gentleman by the name of Jesus Christ. You see what God is doing here? He's using this very ugly, weird, twisted, sin-filled situation to bring about the eventual birth of the Savior for you and for me and for Leah and Rachel and Jacob and Laban too. Isn't that amazing? We can be in so much pain. We can think things are just so weird and so messed up in my family, and yet up here, God is doing his work. And that's exactly what's happening here. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. This guy is really... Two wives, not a good idea. He's going to end up with four. Or two wives and two concubines. That's really a bad idea. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? 
Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Why not? Let's make the story weirder. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. And then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have beat her down. I have won is what it actually says here. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah, now we're back to Leah, that was Rachel. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The, woman, the women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants. Reuben is, is Leah's oldest son, the oldest of all the sons. Found some mandrake plants. Now, by the way, you're going to love this little commentary. A mandrake plant was an ancient aphrodisiac. That's what they believed. It was a, a, a tuberous plant with a flower. It had little berries on it. And they believed that it was very powerful with productivity. And it was, by the way, also a hallucinogenic. So it, it had some pretty interesting properties. So Reuben, seeing his mother's pain, saying, my mom wants to have more children, and she's all of a sudden now Rachel's coming up like she's going to come from behind and win this big battle with my mom. So here's the mandrake plants, right? Rachel said to Leah, now Rachel comes to Leah after Leah has the mandrake plants from her son Reuben, and Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? You think there's some grudge holding there? Some long-term anger that hasn't been resolved? You stole my husband. Imagine that these two girls growing up, I'll bet they were close. Two sisters? With a dad like Laban, they had to be close just to protect one another. And now it's all just ugly with hate and anger. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrake. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Jacob said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So he, she named him Zebulun. You still with me? That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. All right, just a couple more verses, and then we're going to talk. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. Okay. See, God loved Rachel too, didn't he? And Rachel may have had a lot of advantages with Jacob, but Rachel was also God's princess. 
and he dearly and graciously loved her. Then God remembered Rachel, meaning he decided now to openly bless her. He listened to her, enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph. Pay attention to that name, because that's going to come up. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. All right. Real quick. Let's go back. I, I, out of that whole thing, I picked out some verses that I want to show you because in the same way that transactional relationships can be a cancer to destroy our, our relationship with each other, that mindset, idolatry will do the same and worse in our relationship to God. Now, what does that look like? Let's take a look. So, verse 30. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. So, number one, write this down. Idolatry causes us to build our sense of significance and peace on comparison and competition rather than on who we are in Jesus Christ, our true identity. We begin to think, I need to compete to prove myself. I need to be a winner to prove myself. If I want respect, I'm only gonna gain respect if others compare me to others who are trying to do the same thing and see that I'm the top dog. And that's all well and good until when? Until you're not the top dog. Until you're the Leah. And then it all begins to erode. And the only way to bounce back from that and to find true significance and peace is to rest your identity in Christ. You are a dearly loved child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Number two, what does idolatry look like? We start looking for the love of people rather than the grace of God. And it's all through this story. God is pouring out his love on his daughter Leah and Leah is still saying, I'm just not happy. I can't feel significant or important or validated unless Jacob loves me. The grace of God was not enough for her. She needed to see Jacob's love. That, she, that's turning Jacob into an ultimate thing. It's turning him into an idol. Do you find that you can't be happy? That you can't feel important unless you are loved by a certain person or certain people? Has that turned you into a people pleaser? Third one, roles rather than purpose. That's in here too. I have to be a mom. I gotta be a mom. Give me children, Rachel says to Jacob, or I'll, do you remember what she said? I'll die. If I don't get to be a mommy, but I want you to think about that word role for a minute. A role in a play is something that you do for a very short period of time, and then what happens? Unless you're kind of off a little bit, what happens to your role? You take off the costume and you revert to your true self. Roles 
I'm not saying there isn't some importance to them, but don't let them become your identity. If we saw an actor do that, if we saw an actor play a part and then not be able to take off his costume and not be able to revert to his true self, we would worry about that actor. And if a role in your life is so important that you can't even see God's overall purpose of bringing him glory and returning his love back to him, if you can't see that major purpose in your life, we're worried about you. God is worried about you. And finally, events rather than eternity. Again, all through this story, especially that last verse. Once Rachel became pregnant and gave birth to Joseph, what does she say? God's taken away my disgrace. In this one event, in this one little single moment of birth, all of a sudden, all my disgrace is gone. How many times do we put way too much weight on singular little events rather than seeing the big picture and seeing where this is leading us in eternal terms? Let's close up with this. Jesus, many years later, he says, I brought you this gospel message. I came to die and to rise again to show you how significant you are to God to bring you peace, to help you find true and lasting happiness and joy, to tell you that you matter to God, you are important to him. Jesus says that because he's really encouraging us, believe that, believe that you are significant, important, that you matter to God, that he loves you, and let that be your resting place. Let the gifts of identity and destiny and purpose and possibility and community that he gives all of us, just rest on your shoulder and enjoy them because that's where you find true significance and peace. Jesus says it this way, I have told you these things so that in me, in my cross, in my perfect life for you, in my resurrection, in me, you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble. That's just gonna happen. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's fill out that last fill-in. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the only lasting source of significance and peace. And the wonderful thing, once you are resting in the significance and peace that the love of Jesus Christ gives you, you can begin to love one another and God freely. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we recognize that we, we struggle because of sin and cancer, the, the cancer of sin is throughout our hearts and minds and it is it's all around us in our culture and society and world. Lord, because of sin, we want to treat even the most important relationships in our lives transactionally so that we can get something from them. 
Lord, we, we trade you for other things that cannot bear the weight of what you give us. And they always crumble. They always crumble and leave us devastated. So Lord, we repent of all of that today. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask you to first and foremost help us to build on your love for us, to know the peace and the significance that comes from your having sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live for us, die for us, and rise again for us. And Lord, help us to put away thoughts of transaction when it comes to our relationships and start thinking transformatively. Not how can I get something from this, but how can I give someone something from this relationship? Lord, we pray all these prayers to you fervently in the name of Jesus, our Savior. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You know, I really believe this, that if you would boil the one thing that people want more than anything else in this world, you could probably put it into one word. And I think that one word is simply this, peace. I think people are searching for peace. And our, our sins upset the peace, our guilt and shame upset the peace, our relationships upset the peace and keep us awake at night. We're uncertain what God is doing in our lives. That upsets the peace. But I hope in today's story you've seen that even if you're a weird person from a weird family, God loves you. You're his son, his daughter. You are in his eyes a princess or a prince. And he is gonna continue to love you recklessly, unendingly. Because in that, in that beautiful message of his love is true and lasting peace. And I hope you'll go away with that true and lasting peace this week and come back and join us next week as we continue our Jacob series. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and grant you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. 